when I first uh, learned about organic gardening, even though we had been doing many of other things before, uh, I learned from a gardener named Jack, and uh, and he said, "You may think that you're growing these plants, but let me tell you, your soil is growing these. So your best job." first job as an organic gardener is building good soil says put every time you take out uh some plants remember you need to be putting back in more organic matter and building up the soil so look at those leaves and grass clippings and things and think of them as uh brown gold to be and uh yeah I think it's so true that if you work on building your soil, you will have good results in your garden. Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. FreeGardenCourse.com Mike and I have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis. We'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape, an edible earth-friendly yard, a sustainable deep bed garden, or even start a small profitable market farm. We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, eat healthy nutritious food with minimal labor, Um, Use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy, nutritious food. Um, There's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments. Uh, You can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. I don't know. Do you have any questions for me? Uh, no, I I guess, you know, you've done this. Uh, no, so I'm going to follow your lead. It'll be perfect. <laughs> this has been a very crazy awesome. week. People are buying seeds like they're going out of style. It's amazing. Yeah, we might be uh, Mike and I drove down to this place called Big Arm, which is about 120 miles away from us and bought um, two giant bags of dirt. And he said he'd gotten like 30 phone calls the day before all of a sudden, like people are getting into gardening, which is good for our planet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're going to be uh, limited to your property. Be outside with your kids. Like my goal is to come up with as many garden math problems I can come up with and science problems for my students. So I teach elementary school this year. I am third grade um, by trade, which is so like, it's the, my, I can't even believe this is happening because I told my principal, I was like, I feel like I've died and gone to teacher heaven. Like I am in the best school, best grade. It's been the best year. (laughs) So it does not surprise me that we got kicked out of my classroom on Monday. I went in on Sunday and bleached everything, called all my parents, said, picture day in the morning don't be late and then an hour later said well they closed the school so that's how life rolls but 
I think it's going to be a good thing in the end. I've already seen people on bikes with their kids and out in the fresh air. I swear the sky is bluer here in Montana. And, I, I, you know, I know it's, it's, there's going to be hard times to come, but I hope we come out stronger on the other side. Uh, and that's what I hope too. I'm excited to see all these new people. Um, oops. Yeah new people starting to garden and gardeners who haven't gardened so much really um, starting to ramp up their game. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, how about I'll introduce you and I'll probably keep some of the pre-chat in, but, um, and we'll just go from there. Cause it, I was trying to say, my listeners always want to hear from my guests. They're always like, Jackie, you talk too much. My mom, my number one critic. <laughs> Um, but that's good because um, we're all here to learn and I'm here to learn too. So I'll just introduce you and we'll go from there. Great. Okay. Welcome to the Green Organic Gardener podcast. It is Friday, March 20th, 2020, like the very first official day of spring in this crazy decade that is starting off like nothing we've ever seen. But I am so excited because I have an amazing guest here. She has so many things. I can't even tell you everything it says in her bio, but she's writing these awesome books. She's created something called the Southern Exposure Seed Exchange. So here to share her amazing expertise, she's an educator and she's been doing this a lot longer than me, um, is Ira Wallace. So welcome to the Green Organic Gardener podcast, Ira. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to, you know, share about gardening with people at this uh, trying time. I, I think that the number of people who have just started buying seeds in the last week is amazing. So I think people being at home, it, as you say, with children, it's going to be a wonderful opportunity to, my, as my kids said, we homeschooled, and they say to have a homeschool moment every day. <laughs> uh, so much math and science, uh, along with good nutrition and taste for your family. Uh, uh, we're here in Mineral, Virginia. Uh, remember when there was the East Coast uh, earthquake? We were near the epicenter uh, between Charlottesville and Richmond. And uh, we, our company is Southern Exposure Seed Exchange, and we work with gardeners in the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast. Uh, and for people who have a yankering uh, and hankering for Southern food, no matter where they are. <laughs> well, and with climate change, people are starting to grow things in different places they couldn't before. And I've been hearing all sorts of success stories with people growing okra, even here in Montana. Um, and I know that's a popular favorite. And so, but why don't you tell listeners like, I always like to start my show asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with? What'd you grow? Like, how long, like, what was your very first gardening experience? Hey, well, uh, it looks like our internet is a little unstable, so that might be a problem, but we'll try anyway. Uh, I started gardening with my grandmother in Tampa, Florida. Uh, that was about 71 years ago. <laughs> uh, and we had uh, a double lot and one of the lots in the town 
was our big garden. We had a big pecan tree, which was nice because it's very hot in the summer. So our summer garden was partially shaded. But even then, we only had okra and southern peas uh, at, at that time. However, we had a three-season garden in terms of uh, the fall, winter, and spring. So it was just a little bit turned around from the way what I'm used to now. Uh, my grandmother, who raised me gardening, passed away the year I went off to college. And that was uh, what motivated me to get together with my new college friends and start a student garden. It was a pitiful little thing over by the uh, art studios, but we thought it was the best garden ever. <laughs> uh, I love that. College memories. Those are the best, right? Did you go to college Absolutely. in Florida or in Virginia? I went to college at New College in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, it was a, a private college at that time and since has become the Honors College of the University of Florida system. And uh, yeah, so I was lucky that I had been admitted and had a scholarship because if my if I hadn't, when my grandmother passed away, my dreams of college would have gone by the wayside. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad and I know listeners are glad that you had a scholarship and you started that first garden with your roommates and friends from college and now you're out here you've just been changing um you know teaching people and doing so much now you've written these great books so do you want to tell listeners about your books or you want to tell us about how you learned how to garden organically like was it from your grandma was it in school or just go wherever you want to go well yeah uh i learned the basics from my grandmother is a uh as Dr. David Bradshaw said, he is comes from a Native American background, and he said, I learned the sensible things from my family and the scientific things that backed them up from college. So I like that. That's me too. I, you know, had learned, yeah, it's nice. And, uh, you know, when I was in college, I took, you know, taxonomy classes. But honestly, I did not think anybody would ever make a living out of farming. My grandmother had said, garden for yourself. But, you know, only rich people can make a living at farming. And, uh, but we small farmers have uh, proved that to be wrong, you know, because I was lucky enough to uh, come up in the Mers moved from Florida, where I grew up, uh, to North Carolina, and uh, was lucky enough to be uh, a part of the early start of the Carborough Farmer's Market, which is sort of one of the early great farmer's markets in North Carolina. Uh, and at that same time, uh, I worked, you, you know, you work with little kids. Uh, before I moved into being a craftsperson and then uh, a professional farmer and seeds person, uh, I did a lot of volunteering 
in botanical gardens and local gardening initiatives, and especially with kids. And uh, the thing that I did with the North Carolina Botanical Gardens was plant rescue of native plants that were being uh, destroyed by uh, buildings and stuff coming there. So all the volunteers would come. And the botanical gardens tried to figure out ways to uh, propagate them and save seeds. And that was my opportunity to learn on some pretty hard plants. <laughs> and now, so is that what the seed exchange? Did you tell listeners about the Southern Exposure Seed Exchange? Well, these days, Southern Exposure Seed Exchange is a small seed company. We have as a mission to provide information so our customers and interested people can learn about seed saving uh, so they have more independence uh, and uh, seed growing. But the early days, there was a lot of the exchanging because these were people who were uh, early members of the Seed Savers Exchange and listing things in the yearbook and exchanging things with each other and not really so much uh you know thinking of it as a business that was going to be viable uh, but it turned out there's a lot more people who wanted to grow heirloom seeds who were um not as hardcore about it as some of us and they it liked the opportunity to be able to uh, read about and purchase and grow some heirlooms. So the seed company sort of developed and then we continued, you know, providing educational opportunities, giving workshops, doing all those things. You know, about uh, 14 years ago, we uh, approached Monticello, who was about 20 five miles from us uh, about doing an educational event there, the Heritage Harvest Festival uh, at Monticello, which uh, Southern Exposure Seed Exchange co-hosts along with the Seed Savers Exchange and the Thomas Jefferson Foundation. And two to 4,000 people come and we have seed swaps and educational events and tours of Mr. Jefferson's uh, gardens, which I'm proud to say now also highlight the role of the enslaved people who made uh, Monticello Gardens something uh, to be remembered. Well, that's good to hear. Because um, sometimes it's just hard to believe, especially teaching third grade, like how just our whole history and how people have changed and trying to explain that to kids sometimes is overwhelming. So I'm glad to hear it. Like, especially, you know, my kids just did president reports in January and February and, and teaching about, you know, there's just, um, I'm glad to hear that they are highlighting the role of the slave people from then. So tell, uh, well, tell listeners about your books, and then we'll talk about something that grew well this year. Okay. Uh, well. Because you've written, like, books that are, like, specific to states, right? Right. Like, a new series that you're working on. Yes. I, I wrote, my first book was, uh, uh, 
gardening in the southeast, but uh, gardeners wanted more specific information about their individual states. So this last year, we've been taking some of the general knowledge that I have been sharing and honing in state by state for five different southern states. Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee. So that you know the timing, because you know timing makes all the difference in success, especially with things that are a little bit at the edge of your range. Uh, and I like to try to have brown harvest. I'm not going to tell a tall tale that you can grow everything in the winter. Uh, but you can uh, grow a garden so that you certainly have greens and roots. Uh, and I haven't been out where you are in the West, but my partner is from Canada and we gardened all winter in Ontario. So from Florida to Ontario, you can have a, a year-round garden and these five books give you the specifics about timings that will do well in that area and how to overcome some of the challenges with things that, uh, you know, how to have more greens in the summer when it's really hot and humid and, you know, taking advantage of natural shade or that kind of thing. So, I am that we're able to work on this. And in my previous book just had illustrations. This has lovely photographs to make you think about what you're going to have if you go to all that work. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, I, I don't know if I missed something. At one point you said to give us the specifics and you said time and how to overcome some of the challenges with things. But was there something in between timing when you plant stuff or did i get it all varieties that you might want to variety uh particular location like you know some of the varieties that develop at the university of florida especially good for people in georgia where it's a longer season and they need uh they generally will plant two crops of uh, early maturing varieties because it's really hot in July and August. And, um, you know, to give people those little hints so they don't get disappointed when it doesn't work out the way uh, a gardener in New England told them it was going to. And that's so true. And that's something I know people are listening, are interested in because my number one most visited page in five years consistently, every time I go to Google Analytics is most productive crops to grow in Northwest Montana. So since I have listeners from all around the world, and I'm sure like people like, even if they're not necessarily in the Southeast, but if they're in the South, that a lot of these tips would help. Or as you said, it went all the way up to Ontario and just our climate is changing. So recognizing those things mike and i were just talking yesterday like i have like records from we got married in 1993 that i went through and like i was surprised to see that out of almost 30 25 years plus of data mike has planted almost consistently when he puts his lettuces and first seeds in the ground of the year it's always between april 7th and april 14th like there are outlier um 
dates, you know, one year as early as March, one year as late as May, but for the majority of years, he plants his lettuce and things um, that second week in April. And so he was just talking yesterday about maybe this year he's going to get out early because we had like no snow down in the valley at all. Like he could almost, it seems like plant today, except it's frozen. We get up, it's cold here in Montana, but um, <laughs> by afternoon, the soil is really warming up. Yeah. And anyway, it, again, my listeners don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. Do you want to, well, you just go ahead. I, I can't hear you. Oh, I said, just go, just go ahead. There does seem to be like a delay between us when we're speaking, but, um, but I still think I'm catching almost every single thing. Great. I, I knew something peculiar was going on. Well, uh, you know, one of the things with, you know, doing each of these books is, uh, like you say, looking at zone seven, you think ended, but, uh, in zone seven in Georgia, it might warm up a little bit uh, faster than at zone seven uh, in Virginia. And I didn't expect that, but it's it's one of the things because the earth, uh, if you are, you know, you have coastal winds and uh, being, you know, further south, then you just get another week earlier of your production, or you get stuff being able to winter over. You know, it's lovely, uh, you know, being able to tell people you can plant your bulbing onions uh, in the fall and winter them over so that you can have nice, bigger, better, uh, like the Vidalia onions that you get in the uh, stores if you are in Georgia. And maybe in the Carolinas. And I try to grow them in Virginia, and sometimes that works. And then again, sometimes not so well, because we're a little further north. And uh, each of these books, you know, gives you the details of uh, how to try and what your, uh, you know, what's likely to work uh, in terms of the timing for planting them. And I like uh, that there's you know, each month what you can do and what you can do based on which zone in the state that you're in. And then uh, I like to share little tips about gardening to attract pollinators so you have some extra fun things uh, to do each month in addition to the regular garden chores. do you have any tips for attracting pollinators? I know that's something else my listeners are really interested in, like special varieties or special plants to plant or putting water out or like what are some of your tips? Well, one of the things that uh, I like to do is have, uh, is let my herbs go to flower because I, I like having a variety of uh, edible herbs and uh oh boy uh and so you know things like chives that come early in the season instead of cutting all of them back planting enough that you can have those uh flowers early in the season is important i'm kind of even though i'm a seed uh person i really like things that self-sow as well so uh we will uh 
tend to, you know, let things uh, like calendulas also in the garden so we can have those uh, to offer flowers at their time. They're nigella, poppies, uh, and that's uh, fun. And you don't have to have a big area, too, because some people say, my garden is so small. And I say, you can take a little small, you know, six-inch border along the edge of a bed and uh, have flowers there. And you, when you were mentioning having water, the insects need water, but they're small, so they need some nice shallow bowl that they can, uh, you know, uh, get water from if it's, especially during dry periods. And don't make everything a little bit of mess that is some twigs and uh dead foliage over the winter uh to allow some place for your pollinators and beneficials to winter over you can put it in a little orderly uh pile so it kind of has that dog patch uh area corner for your pollinators in the winter Kind of like JM4TA makes like an insect hotel yeah. for kids, please. Absolutely. Yeah. Like this I, I visited their farm once. Uh, it's Oh, you did? Yeah. My, uh, my partner's family lives in Quebec. And uh, so we decided, we contacted him and got a little tour. It was so cool. We saw this tractor that they don't use anymore that just sits there. <laughs> and this got us all excited uh, about using, done any of that occultation for, uh, rather than digging for preparing beds, covering it with the silage tarps. I actually just did a post yesterday. I finally went down. It was the perfect sunny day and posted where Mike had put his tarp out and the lessons we learned because I guess he didn't like get enough stuff out of the way. And so some things were still frozen when he put it out there like two weeks ago. And like one day I was like, should I go put rocks down on that so it doesn't blow away? And he's like, well, I can't rock it. I can't put it down fully until it melts a little more underneath because otherwise things are going to poke holes through it. And there was like a bale of hay that needed move that was like frozen down. And so his big lesson that he learned was um, to make sure it's smoothed out before he puts it to bed in the fall. But we are doing that. And I also scored a, um, a, a tarp from um, uh, one of those like boards, you know, on the highway, a giant oh, billboard that they were taking great. down one day when I was driving by hey. and I pulled over and they even threw it in my car for me. <laughs> it was so nice of them. But oh, we're try that I love as soon as it thaws a little more. Right. I, you know, we, uh, you're talking about preparing it in the fall and we had an area that we prepared in the fall and we put that and I'm telling you, when we got ready to put the other tarps down in the spring, that area was beautiful. You could just take the rake and take things that were too big and branchy, you know, to just leave there and rake them aside. And it was ready to plant. And we put a little compost on, which we probably 
would have done better if we'd sprinkled that compost in the fall when we covered. So we want to do more. <laughs> I love it because who, 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 who doesn't want to reduce the amount of digging that they have to do? And I, I love my walk behind tractor, but it's okay with me not to have to use it nearly as much. <laughs> And I'm also excited to try it down. We have this meadow on the bottom edge of our property that's covered in um, like an invasive weed, the spotted knapweed stuff. And I'm thinking that it might be a good plan for down there. At least it's probably not going to get rid of all of it, but I think it could do a lot of, um, you know, it could make a big impact if I can figure out. The thing about it is it's not fenced in, so I don't know how if we could get the tarp and Mike just, you know, those tarps are not cheap. <laughs> yes. So buying, um, I was so excited to score that one from the billboard guys. Cause they were like, this is vinyl. This will never, you know, this is going to be here forever. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, well, we'll give it a try. Mm -hmm. And I found that tip from, a, um, I want to say it was JM's Fort or maybe it was, um, I don't know, some Facebook group. Uh -huh. I found, uh, I found the tip about getting the tarps when I saw the price of the silage tarp on <laughs> farmer's friend and i was like oh my gosh yeah anyway uh ira tell us about some oh the one thing i was gonna say is i love chives and we also do the same thing with letting the chives come back and the calendula come back and the dill come back and i like to let my herbs go to seed and mike also like and patty armbruster they both talk about um like letting lettuce go to seed and letting the radishes flower so that the insects have those and then just going to seed whether you collect the seeds or but just even if you're mm -hmm. not going to collect the seeds just they well, make pretty flowers and the bugs like them and then you can clean it up later absolutely and you know you can take uh brassicas that have wintered over and let them uh go to flower early in the season as well uh and they're just you know we we do like tachoy and bok choy and uh mixed winter greens and um the flowers are really nice in salads in the spring as well as you can share some with all the little pollinator friends <laughs> uh one thing i was thinking that we do a Ooh, lot like of in in the southeast is succession plantings so that we have um uh, you know like you were mentioning lettuce we plant lettuce, well, this starts back from Je Thomas Jefferson, who said, from February until September, plant a thimble full of lettuce every Tuesday. Well, we don't plant a thimble full, but we plant as much as we think we want to eat that week. Uh, and when we get into September, we plant every two or three days because we want to have enough lettuce uh, you know, as crops are taken out, that we can harvest it all winter, even though we can't really grow it all winter. So we put it close together uh, in little seedling beds. And then uh, when the first frost comes, we spread it out. And uh, row cover has made this job so much better. I'm telling you, you know, when I first was gardening with my grandmother and when I moved up to North Carolina, where there was frost, which I wasn't really used to, you know, we did all of this mulching to try to keep it. 
but then uh, in the 80s when uh, spun polyester row cover and fleece came along, it just made wintering over greens and roots so much easier. Well, my you probably know Lisa Ziegler. She's like one of the big flower farmers in Virginia. And she like, finally, after our second interview, she's like, Jackie, if you don't get yourself some row cover, I'm going to send you some. <laughs> And that was when I finally bought my husband some. And it does. And not only does it work for keeping things frost-free, but it keeps bugs out. Like, it keeps the moths from, like, laying their eggs at night. And it just, um, it helps with a lot of things. And then for us, sometimes, like, in the hot of August, even though we have mm-hmm. cool nights, it gets so hot in the afternoon, it, it even can provide shade when we're, like, putting out the broccoli plants, uh-huh. transplants. It'll kind of, like, help them... Um, What's that called? Like acclimate or whatever mm-hmm. to being not in the greenhouse anymore. So all sorts of great things you can do with row cover. And I'm feeling a little uh, slow out here if it came out in the 80s and we didn't get it till the late 2000s. But, right. you know, live and learn. Well, so Ira, tell us about something that grew well this year. Well, uh, that grew particularly well for us this year was Roselle. Uh, I don't know if you can grow it where you are because it's, uh, you know, it's a hibiscus, hibiscus sabdarifa. And I like it because my grandmother, uh, when she was young, they grew it and made jam that they had at Thanksgiving instead of cranberry sauce, which at that time was really expensive for people because she grew up a sharecropper and they didn't have very much in the way of cash. Uh, and so they would, uh, you know, make uh, tea, which now you, you see it as hibiscus tea or, uh, you know, sometimes, but then they would make jam and I grow it and make jam out of it's the swollen calyxes. It's so beautiful and red and slightly tart. So you can have tea, you can have jam, you can have a sauce. It's really fun. Uh, and uh, my friends up in Maine have grown some, but they grow it as a potted plant. <laughs> a a three-foot-tall potted plant. <laughs> that was especially good. Uh, Another thing that we did really well uh, for us uh, last summer is uh, we got some Crowder peas uh, from a a young man who is now an intern at uh, Soulfire Farm up in New York, and he had gotten it from one of his elderly neighbors and it made a really nice cream crowder pea so that you could uh and i like crowder peas and black eyed peas because they cook in an hour instead of taking you know having to be soaked and taking a long time when you're cooking beans because i like i like to grow our own protein just in case i i kind of i kind of laugh it's like the world probably is not going to fall apart in my lifetime, but I like to garden as if uh, I'll do okay if it does. <laughs> well, you know, for a long time, I've been saying if I had to feed my classroom full of students, I could since I started my podcast, like I started my podcast with a brown thumb and I couldn't grow anything. And then I've been saying that I've learned so much, like if I had to, 
I could probably feed my classroom full of kids. And now that I'm going to deliver food to them this afternoon, like technically my school, we, today is our first official day of spring break. We're supposed to be home next week. Uh-huh. Um, so they have these big food packages that they are sending that like we were scheduled to send anyway. Um, but it's pretty weird not being there this week. And like, I don't know if they're going to need some food come fall. I know a lot of my parents are already out of work. Um, wow. and so, you know, um, you might be glad you're growing those, uh, beans cause who knows what's going to happen between now and this fall. Yeah. Yeah, well, I and it's a great opportunity to introduce people to a region. Because uh, sometimes, you know, you get a little prejudice. Things that are easy uh, uh, are not valid. So, and, you know, they, oh, speaking of things that are easy. Because so many people are on the internet these days. Like, it's been really slowing down in my town. But what I was going to ask you, what were the, like, I having a hard time understanding, what are the P? You said the black eye piece, but then what's that first one? Can you spell it? Like, did you say a cover piece? Crowder, C-R-O-W-D-E-R. And that's a a type of Southern P or black eye P that grows very fast and covers your ground. Often they're used as a cover crop and they were traditionally uh fed to the animals and uh as well and so crowd out the weeds crowder peas <laughs> uh and uh you oh know gosh, i love that yeah yeah and you know the leaves of these in uh africa are used in stews as well as uh the peas as well it's something that we haven't, you know, the, even in the Southeast have run out of style. It was certainly like the food that sustained Southerners after uh, all the devastation of uh, the Civil War is all of these various types of uh, black eyed peas and Southern peas and that built back up the land after the land was destroyed by growing too much cotton. So they definitely have a lot going on for them. Well, you are just dropping golden seeds left and right. I know my listeners are going to be loving everything you have to share. So is there something you're excited to do different next year or something new you were ready to try? Uh, Well, what uh, we're going to do is a big trial of... um, various kind of pole beans i i like pole beans because you can harvest them over a long period of time and now that i'm in my 70s i like them because you don't have to lean down to harvest them <laughs> and we've been making these uh trellises out of cattle panels and uh the ones that we're particularly going for are uh ones where the pod stays tender as the beans uh, are forming in them. So you can get uh, both a a nice protein rich uh, bean inside and still have a nice crisp uh, pod as well. And this is what they used to make leather bridges out of 
which is string those beans up and dry them and then cook them in the winter uh, as a, a dish that, you know, has both your uh, fresh bean and your dried bean uh, as a part of it. So anyway, so we're going to do about 15 of those and compare the taste. I'm looking forward to that. Well, I love all that. And we do struggle here growing pole beans. Mike said he just can't do it anymore because every time he tries, they like, we get a frost right when they're about to harvest. So he grows a lot of bush beans, but I think, um, I just love the idea of growing things that are, you know, providing a protein and making your soil better and lasting through the winter. Like you're just dropping so many of the questions that people asked me when I first started my podcast and sharing things like the, um, cattle trellises somebody i just talked to recently said they were doing that too yeah they're they're so fun and they make your garden look fancy <laughs> uh, yeah well maybe that's where i saw it was somebody like i have the picture right in my head of somebody sending me the picture of those so tell us about something that didn't go the way you thought it was gonna oh my goodness uh you know, we we uh, uh, try potatoes uh, because we were thinking, oh, where you make um, little potato boxes and you uh, just add layers of mulch. And it was so dry that we didn't get very good yields from them. Uh, and this was unfortunate because one of my uh, co-op uh, members here remembers fondly growing them in these potato boxes uh, in Missouri, but didn't work so well here in Virginia this last summer. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, the ones that came out were beautiful and clean and easy to harvest. <laughs> there just weren't that many of them. Well, that might be a good tip for people that live like in dry climates. You might not want to grow them. And if you do live in a moister climate, that might be an easier way to grow them because, you know, Mike had a very similar experience the year he really? did that too. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But we're very dry where we are. So it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, where we are, some summers it's moist and some summers it's dry. So. I don't think we can count on this uh, boxes, but we're, we're going to try one little section of it again, just before we totally give up on it, <laughs> see if we can do it. Uh, I was trying to... Yeah, because getting those yummy, delicious potatoes so easily sounds pretty enticing. Yeah, well, well you know, what we did have success with, uh, with potatoes is we grew a second crop, which we planted in June, and it was not as uh, productive as probably if we had gone ahead and planted them in March, like we did the boxes, but those potatoes uh, we're just finishing them up and they stored so nicely uh, because they weren't ready until the end of October, uh, you know, and uh, the frost, you know, forced us to harvest them. So 
here in Virginia, because we have such a long summer season, the early ones are kind of shrivelly in storage. So, so that, that was kind of fun to remember that even potatoes need their successions in the southeast. Those are great tips. Well, Ira, we're already at the part of the show I call getting to the root of things, or not already, because I feel like we've been on the phone for a while. But um, mm -hmm. so do you have a least favorite activity in the garden, like something you got to force yourself to go out there and do? I don't like pulling big weeds. So I love scuffle hose. You know, you can go out there and uh, I like mulch and scuffle hose. Anything that will uh, keep my beds clear at, without me getting down on my knees. Because now that I am older, I don't like it. <laughs> well, I'm a lot younger than you. Well, I have just basically never liked being down on my knees like that for any extended period of time. Do you, do you like using these? I don't do much of that. Mike does most of that for me. I'm kind of a spoiled gardener. He's lucky if he gets me to water oh. and maybe plant the seeds at the beginning of the year. Well, hey. But Mike loves his hoe. I know that. And he likes to mulch. He doesn't like to mulch as much as like actually the physical act of doing it. Uh -huh. But I know he likes the benefits of it. Like he's always itchy when he comes in, which is why I don't do the mulching. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're working on some areas uh, where we got a lot of, uh, shredded tree bark and stuff from uh, an arborist. So we're sort of seeing if we can, you know, goes. We've only been at that uh, this last year. But in the, in the perennial area, it's doing extremely well. Wait, what are you doing? Are you putting wood chips down? What, I'm, I heard the arborist part and then I missed them. We're, we're putting wood chips down. We're doing... An arborist has brought us like truckloads of wood chips. And so what we're doing is first mulching the path for a year or so, and then using that to mulch the beds, putting more down in the paths. So uh, it's a, a, a kind of self-composting area uh, that is also reed reducing and this is the area we're playing around with is like 100 by 100 so it's a big area to uh, see how this works out awesome i like that so ira on the flip side what's your favorite activity to do in the garden i love starting things from seeds seeing those little baby seeds their little seed leaves pop up and then you wait to see their true leaves and know that they've really made it. It's so exciting. So much so that uh, we have in our neighborhood, well, it's not going to happen this year, but uh, what we call uh, a little free plant list. This is all the too many seedlings we started to be shared with neighbors and friends. <laughs> Oh, it's just, it's amazing how they just 
seem to overpopulate. Yeah, right? it's totally. You know, when you get a packet of seeds, there are a lot of plants in that packet. And if you don't control yourself, you might start them all. <laughs> well, I'm excited about your little Thomas Jefferson thimbleful of uh, lettuce every Tuesday, because that has been one of my struggles. And every year I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the packet and I am going to separate out 10 seeds for this week and 10 seeds for that week. And I'm only going to plant a row each week and I never do it. And so being able to just grab a thimble full, that is like perfect. So I don't take the, cause what happens to me is I take the whole seed packet down to the bed and then I'm sitting there and I'm like, I might as well just throw them all in and I throw them all in at once. Mm -hmm. and so I, I think that's going to be my best tip that <laughs> I got from it. We'll see if it actually happens. Like, and then I always say, I'm going to make the seed tape with the kids uh -huh. seeds and I thought for sure I was going to do that with my students this year with all those little hands. We just planted arugula in my classroom. Oh. Like we just had these tiny little arugula sprouts. I told the parents had to go pick up some stuff. So I said, if anybody wants to take the arugula sprouts, so I'm going to find out today, did they take them home or are they still sitting there? Um, but anyway, Ira, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Uh, well, uh, when I first uh, learned about organic gardening, even though we had been doing many of those things before, uh, I learned from a gardener named Jack, and, uh, uh, and he said, you may think that you're growing these plants, but let me tell you, your soil is growing these, so your best job first job as an organic gardener is building good soil says put every time you take out uh, some plants remember you need to be putting back in more organic matter and building up the soil so look at those leaves and grass clippings and things and think of them as uh, brown gold to be and uh, yeah I think it's so true that if you work on building your soil, you will have good results in your garden. You know, Ira, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I always hear podcasts that start out with a quote from their guests at the beginning. And I hate those shows, to be honest with you, because I feel like I'm like, did I miss something? What is this? Why do I feel like I hear? But that quote right there might be the first time I ever do that. That was just fantastic. I know listeners are going to love it. And that is like one of the biggest keys to my show is soil health. And um, anyway, going to the root of things is kind of like the lightning round. So I'll keep moving on. How about your favorite tool? Would, is it your scuffle hole? I know you said you love a scuffle hole. If you had to move in, can I do with you? What could you not live without? I think a scuffle hole. I, well, I have a scuffle hole and a diamond hoe. And, you know, I like the diamond hoe because it's longer. And so if I'm reaching across to get something, but I think the scuffle hoe is more uh, reliable at just quickly going through and getting rid of those little weeds and saving me a world of trouble later. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm nodding my head as my delay goes through. So what's your favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden? My favorite recipe is garlicky 
Brazilian uh, collards. And I, I just, honestly, when I was growing up, I didn't like them as much because they were kind of overcooked by my taste that I developed as an adult. And then I uh, met a, a person from Brazil maybe 20 years ago, and she says, you roll them up like a, six leaves, roll them up like a cigar, and then you cut them real thin like you chiffonade them, and then uh, peel some garlic and chop it up real fine, put a little olive oil in the pan. When the garlic gets uh, just lightly tan, put in the collards, and uh, then you uh, just stir them around with the garlic, put a little salt, like a collard. Wait, the last thing I heard was put the, was there anything after put in the collard, then you stir the sauce or was it? Scuffle them around, Uh, you know, you want to, you want to blend the garlic into uh, the collards. And otherwise, all the garlic will be on the bottom and the greens. You know, it's just like, it's kind of like when you're stir frying that you want to move it around so that all of them get to the hot part of the uh, pan. And uh, and then a little bit of salt just makes it, I mean, if you don't eat salt, it's okay not. But I, I, I think a sprinkling of salt pops the taste. Well, that sounds delicious. Ira, do you listen to podcasts at all? Do you have a favorite podcast around? Well, I do listen. Uh, uh, I listen to A Way to Garden with Margaret Roach. Uh, and uh, I think <laughs> I, uh, I um, you know, had listened, had heard her radio show. And I'm not I'm not quite up on podcasts uh, about how to kind of keep up with them, but I'm learning. Old ladies can learn too. <laughs> cool. I I know how you feel. Uh, Heard about your Do you have a like, favorite oh. resource? Is there? No, I'm thinking. Um, I I just uh, I think we all like get into the podcasting thing in our own time and just I think people are going to be discovering all sorts of new things this month this spring so I'm so glad to hear there's such a big interest in gardening going on out there Um, you're not the first one that has said that or um, that I've heard that from but how about like a favorite internet resource is there anywhere you like to surf on the web especially when you're doing your research for your books Uh, well I I like uh, the Clemson uh, website because it's has really good uh, resources for people in the southeast, and a lot of times that's and you know how does this work in in our area? Um, so that's been and uh, another thing because i'm interested in heirlooms is uh 
to uh, the USDA Grin site and finding out about all the seeds that they have been collected and maintained in their collection. And so, you know, I'll get out like 10 kinds of uh, Chinese cabbage that were collected in, you know, 1930 or something. Uh, and that'll be really fun. Uh, so if, if you sort of uh, are doing research, uh, it, it's a great research source about the genetic material that's uh, available. That's Craig. Have you ever interviewed Craig Lahoulier, the North Carolina tomato man? I have from the Epic Tomato. Uh, she wrote the Epic he, Tomato. Book. Yeah, well, he used the USDA resources to pull out so many wonderful tomatoes. And that's what made me think of it as a, got me started looking at it as a resource. Yeah, his interview is just fascinating. Like, I couldn't believe some of the things. I had no idea he, all the things that he's done for saving seeds and studying different plants. And um, yeah, the book is really just like one of like, you know, he's done so much more in his lifetime for seeds and growing in plants. It's amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about, do you have a favorite reading material or book to recommend? Well, shoot. <laughs> well, in addition to my own books, <laughs> I uh, I like the seed garden, and uh, because if someone is wanting to get into seed saving, it uh, brings together the information that was in sort of my old favorite seed to seed, uh, along with you know thirty years of home seed saver share their information with each other about managed to do seed saving in a small garden and uh, I like that the seed savers exchange uh, had uh, also work with the organic seed alliance to make sure that the science of it is in there as well as the practical experience and you know I like things where there's practical experience and science mixed together you can't beat it well, that is well said. I have a little boy in my classroom who loves like growing things and rocks and he wants to be a geologist when he grows up and he's just so into science and just uh, I think that's a super way to look at things. You want to have a little bit of practical experience, but you want to have the science um, material to back it up. So let's tell listeners about your books again. And like, you know, I usually ask a question about like, um, you know, getting started in the industry of produce, but do you have like any tips for me about how to become like a published garden author? Well, I started out by writing uh, articles and because, uh, you know, I told you my grandmother was a sharecropper. We, I grew up in a household where she only had a fifth grade education. But heck, we read the encyclopedia for fun <laughs> because that was how it was. So I didn't actually think of myself as uh, able to write, but um, Mother's News had a magazine had, had uh, you know, a regular column that was 
regional uh, garden advice. And so one of uh, my partners here at Southern Exposure Seed Exchange was writing that. And then he and his wife left our co-op and they, this short thing needed to be written. And I started writing it. And then other people asked me to write short pieces and uh, and then years later or so uh, when Timber Press was looking for someone to uh, write a book about gardening in the southeast uh, one of my garden friends an apple person Tom Burford recommended me and I thought well I have notebooks full of these one-pagers perhaps it can become something so I made an outline and they liked it and uh, so I guess I would say start writing short pieces about something that you know quite a bit about and uh, see where it leads you. Awesome. I've been trying to write a garden column, so maybe I should focus a little more on that. And then I try to like write this thing called the Golden Seeds Newsletter, which is like a mixture of like a shortened version of my show notes after I talk to my guests, but man, does that take some time. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think, uh, I'm surprised none of our newspapers have a garden column. Newspapers have a lot less resources available to them nowadays than they used to, unfortunately. Um, because when I first was, is gardening and paying attention virtually every big newspaper had a regular garden column but not so anymore oh well maybe that's what it is uh so here's my well wait let's quickly go through the books that you have written so you started this state by state um and they tell you like dates and varieties to plant and things that'll go well and where do people get the books and tell us a little more about them okay uh well you can get them uh online uh we have them at southernexposure.com you can get them from any of the big online retailers but you can also order them at your local independent bookseller uh and they have the same name, but by state, Grow Great Vegetables. And that's for Virginia, Grow Great Vegetables, North Carolina, Grow Great Vegetables, South Carolina, Grow Great Vegetables, Georgia, Grow Great Vegetables, Tennessee. And my older book is The Timber Press Guide to Vegetable Gardening in the Southeast. Uh, but each of them has a, a beginning that helps you get started, tells you, uh, you know, about the weather in the particular state, and then some uh, different ways, uh, types of, uh, you know, planting systems that you might use, about watering, more about garden planning, and then we go month by month and tell you what to do in the particular state, uh, you know, and uh, each month has some special project like seed saving or, you know, growing for beneficials. And then in the back of the book, 
have edibles A to Z and there are 50 different edibles that there's a page about growing, harvesting varieties that will do well in the South uh, or in the particular state. And, and, uh, and then uh, at the end, there's a resource session that will, you know, help you know where you can uh, get more information uh, locally. And uh, uh, there's a that lets you know, say, when to start eggplants from seed, you know, uh, in a particular state uh, that you're looking at. So there's a lot of info there for you. And, uh, you know, a cool library to get if you want to look at it before you buy. <laughs> Grow great vegetables, everybody. And you know what I'm going to say? After you read it and you love it, go to Amazon and leave it a five-star review so everybody else can get their hands on it. So, Ira, here is my final question, and it's a doozy. If there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Wow. Uh, <laughs> that is a big one. When I was young, I was creating a national organic program, some way that uh, gardeners and eaters could know that the food that they ate was grown using sustainable practices. And some of that has happened, but what I would like to see is in local areas, some kind of mentorship program that uh, puts together experienced gardeners and uh, young people who want to become more seriously involved in growing food either for themselves or as farmers for their communities. And there is some of the young people who want to do this but who have no one in their support uh, as they, uh, you know, build a farm or make uh, a fabulous garden. So I want to see more of that. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing that I want is for people to realize that seeds matter. And uh, one of the charities that I uh, support is Seed Programs International. And, you know, that thing about uh, giving a man some fish so he can have food today or uh, teaching them to fish so that they can have food for the long term. Well, Seed Programs International especially works a lot with women in developing countries uh, so that they not only learn to grow food but to save their own seeds and have food and independence for uh, their families in some trying situations.
Ira, thank you so much for sharing with us today. You have been just a gracious and eloquent guest. And I can't even thank you enough for jumping on the mic with me because I don't have any episodes in the bank after I was like so behind and I had like 12 episodes consistently from like last winter to December. <laughs> I am now officially out. So listeners, if there's anybody out there that wants to share their garden journey, I need people to book some calls and bless your heart for sharing all these amazing golden seeds. I know this is going to be a popular um, episode because you just taught us so much today. So you stay healthy, keep educating people and keep gardening. And thank you so much. Yeah. Come and visit us at southernexposure.com and uh, learn something. <laughs> and let's get growing. Thanks, Ira. Okay. I am turning the recording off, but um, just get your copy of the Organic Oasis guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just... Um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for Mother Earth. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.